We are beginning a new series. We're entering the final chapter in Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 4. Pastor Matt preached last week and he did an amazing job. Didn't he do a good job? He did a great job last week. And he got up to verse 1 of chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse 2 of chapter 4. We're only going to cover one verse this morning in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4 verse 2. And we are doing a series on prayer. It's called Steadfast Prayer. And it's going to be four weeks, including this Sunday. And we're going to look at the subject of prayer and the impact that it has in our life and and what God has called us to as concerning prayer. And so I just want to welcome those that might be watching by live stream. Thank you for worshiping with us. I know that you, you wish you were here. And you long to be with us, and we, we, we are glad that in some way, shape, or form, you are worshiping with us. So thank you for tuning in. I pray that you are encouraged by God's word this morning. So have you, ever, have you ever had to do something on a regular basis that is necessary, but you just don't like doing it? I, mean, I thought I was, when I wrote this introduction statement, I thought, boy, I could just come up with a long list of things that uh, are necessary to do, but I just don't like doing them. And so we get frustrated, and we know it's necessary, and we know that we have to do it. We know that it is, is important to do this task, to, to work this job, or whatever the, the thing is that we have to do that we know is necessary, but we struggle with it. And the reason sometimes we struggle with things that we dread to do is because they're hard. You know, if it was easy, and there wasn't a challenge, and it wasn't something that we got opposition from, well, we wouldn't dread it, wouldn't we? We would, be, take, we would do it with joy because it was easy. But what happens is, is the things that are necessary in our life, when they are challenging, that's when we begin to dread them and we have struggle with them. But you know what happens sometimes is, is that sometimes you find out later that you've been doing that thing the wrong way. Right? And you're like, light bulb goes off and you're thinking... How come somebody didn't tell me that if I turned this lever and did this little thing and do dad this way, then it would work perfect? How come somebody didn't tell me that? And then the joy comes back into the thing that you were called to do. The thing that is essential. And I believe that 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 idea, when we're thinking about prayer, is the Christian's relationship very often to prayer. We know that it's necessary, don't we? We know that it's important and we must do it, but how often do we find it to be hard work to pray? And God forbid, there might even be times where we dread to do it because we feel like what, what, what's happening, there's no, I don't see any progress, I don't see any answers to my prayer, and it feels like work, and it feels, sometimes feels like drudgery to get through prayer. But I believe that there's an answer to this reality that, 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 that prayer is not just something that is important that we do. Prayer is just not something that is important that we add to the list of things that we do. Prayer in Scripture is something that we are commanded to do all the time. We are commanded to pray always. We are commanded to pray without ceasing, Scripture tells us. But I I can relate to you because I know you feel the same way that I do from time to time. That this necessary reality in the life of a Christian can be at times very difficult, but I believe that a lot of the times that it's because we've been doing it the wrong way. We've been approaching it the wrong way. And we need a recentering on the realities of prayer and God-honoring prayer and what the foundation of prayer is. And so this is what we're going to look at in this first week of Steadfast Prayer. We're only going to look at one verse in Colossians chapter 4. Only one verse. Because I believe it speaks clearly. And we're going to lay a foundation here for the next three weeks. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word for the one verse we are going to read. Here this morning, we stand in honor of the reading of God's word because we believe and we know that that this is God speaking to us. Colossians 4 verse 2. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Well, Lord, we come before you this morning and, and we count it a privilege, not only a privilege, but a, but a joy to worship you through the hearing and the preaching of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to receive what it is that you would speak to us through your word. Our hearts are surrendered to you today. Speak to our hearts. Let us be hearers of the word and not not just hearers, but doers, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help me, God, to open my mouth, to preach the word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So the text there, we're going to look at one verse, and we're really, this is only going to be a launch pad. Again, I want to lay a foundation for the next three weeks as we go further into chapter 4 in Colossians and we talk about prayer. But let's talk about what Paul says here in in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So what does it mean to continue? It means to courageously, it literally means to courageously, to, to be courageously persistent, to hold fast and to not let go. That's our call. That's the essential reality in the life of the believer that we are to be courageously persistent in prayer, to hold fast and to not let go, to not stop, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, being watchful in it. What does that mean, being watchful? It means to stay awake or alert. Some of you are going to sleep during my sermon today. You're going to be like, well, if you do, you're just going to be like the other disciples, the original disciples. They slept too. They slept on the Lord, right? But we're called to be watchful, continue, courageously persistent, hold fast, don't let go, being watchful, which it means to stay awake or alert. And here's another key to it, to look for ways to pray for others. Be watchful in your prayer. Prayer is meant to be something that we're watchful in, we are paying attention to, we're looking around us, what's going on in our world? What's going on in our family? What's going on in our church? What's going on with my neighbor? What's going on in the world around me? We are called to be watchful in prayer, to stay alert, continue, be watchful. And then lastly, with thanksgiving. That means that a thankful heart helps us to keep our priorities right in prayer. How often do we come to prayer, we come with wrong priorities because we have, we, we have discontentment in our heart. We, we're not thankful for what God has given us. And so, so, so we are continually, cor- uh, courageously holding fast to prayer. We're not letting go, but we're praying about the wrong things. But thanksgiving has a way of checking our heart. We look at what we have and, and we look at what God's done in our life and we say, Lord, we are so grateful. We're so thankful for all that you've done. And so this is the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 about prayer. What, what, what we must do in prayer. But what I want to do before we get into the rest of chapter 4, the next three weeks, he's going to talk about what we should pray for. Here's how we should pray. We should be steadfast, persistent, not let go. We should be watchful in prayer, and we should be thankful in prayer. And we're going to get into what we should pray for in the, over the next three weeks, three specific things we should pray about as Christians. But what I want to get at, and we're going to go to another section of Scripture, what I want to get at is what is the necessary attitude of the heart when it comes to prayer. Because the attitude of the heart is everything. In every area of our life, in every area of our life, in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids, on our job, in our relationship to the local church, in our relationship with God, in prayer, in every area, the attitude of the heart is what is most important. And when we're thinking specifically about prayer, what is the attribute or the attitude of the heart that is foundational that we must have when we approach God in prayer? Do you think you know? Humility. 
Humility is that attribute. Humility and prayer go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly and cookies and milk. Right? You eat that chocolate chip cookie and it is so wonderful and you you go, you open your fridge and there is no whole milk. I'm not talking about no skim milk. All you skim milk drinkers, I'm sorry, that's not real milk. It is is, uh, color dyed water. You eat that cookie and you open that fridge and you get that whole milk. You drink it, it's just so satisfying. Like prayer and humility is like cookies and milk and peanut butter and jelly. It goes together. You can't have one without the other. A humble person will be a praying person. And a praying person will be a humble person. Humility and prayer go hand in hand. Actually, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, one of the most famous verses of our prayer says this. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Humble themselves. And then what? And pray. Humility and prayer. And seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Humility and prayer go together. And this is what we want to look at this morning is humility. There is a direct link between God's work in our life and the humility of our heart. There is a direct link between God's work in our life and the humility of our heart. So as a foundation to the rest of this series, we want to look at humility this morning and why it is necessary in prayer. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. This is what we're going to look at as we unpack this picture of humility and how it impacts prayer. It says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So in these verses here, these three verses, we're going to look at humility, the foundation of God honoring prayer, the foundation of our Christian life. And there's two thoughts I want to talk about this morning that connect humility and prayer in 1 Peter 5. And the first thought this morning is this, is that humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life. Humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life. Look what, look, look what Peter says there in 1 Peter 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A humble person is an attractive person. You ever been around a prideful person? It's so unattractive. I mean, you, you don't want to be around them. You're around them for a few seconds. You, you're around a prideful person. You listen to a prideful person and they turn you away. Why? Because it is, it's disgusting. It's, 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 um, it, it's, it's, it's something that, 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 that turns us away because, because we know that fundamentally that is not how we are to live our life in a prideful way. But what about the person who is clothed in humility? They're so attractive. You want to be around them. You want to spend time with them. You want to have a conversation with them. It's kind of like this. Have you ever gone to an event or you're going out in public? Or let's just say it's, in, it's an event. You go out to an event and, and somebody walks in and they are dressed to the T. I mean, everyone else looks okay, but this person walks in. And when that person walks in, everyone does what? They just, why? Because they're clothed differently than everybody else. That's the call of the Christian life. Humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life. And that when we are clothed with humility, when we walk in a room, people should go, or after they ex- have experiences with you, conversations with you, interactions with you, it just turns their head. It makes them go, wow, 
That person's like Christ. That person's like God. Wow. That's a humble person. But you notice what it says here? And this is so strong. I think sometimes we overlook scriptures like this. We don't really want to dig deep in them. But that humble person that turns heads, and humble person that people want to be around, the prideful person, no one wants to be around them, and God doesn't either. Look back at what the verse says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. Have you ever thought about who God opposes? Have you ever thought, I don't want to be the person he opposes? What does it mean that God opposes? It literally means this. It means to have God stand against you. It means when you look at the word oppose in the original language, it literally means to have God stand against you. It literally means, it means to resist or be hostile towards. God resists and it's hostile towards and stands against the proud. The lifted up in heart as you As we read in Isaiah chapter 2, he stands against them. Wow. Humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life. Do you remember Satan? Lucifer, before before he became Satan, before he was cast down, what what, what, what caused him to be cast down from heaven? It was his, his pride. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Speaking, the prophet Isaiah speaking about Lucifer. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of Son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, kind of similar to what we read in Isaiah 2. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, listen to what Lucifer said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far regions of the north. I I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. A proud person is opposed by God. God created Lucifer. He was a created being to be a worshiper of God. But he had a heart of pride. He said, I will ascend. I will set my throne. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I'll have authority over the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. I, I, I. Pride says I. Pride says what I want, what I desire, what makes me happy, what gets me noticed. You know, this is so challenging for us in our life when we walk in pride because pride really reflects Satan and his kingdom. That's difficult. I've been proud before. You've been proud before. You know what is a good cure for pride? This scripture we're looking at right now. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride reflects Satan and his kingdom. Pride is a reflection of a heart that has a low view of God. And I would say this, it has... A wrong view of God. Pride is the reflection of a heart that has a low view of God. The wrong view of God. Proverbs 29, 23 says this. A man's pride will bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride will bring him low. What happened to to Lucifer? He got brought low. He got cast down. And the same is true. That if if we will walk in pride, God will stand against us. We, the humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life because it reflects God. The humility of Christ, listen to this, the humility of Christ is what put on display his sacrificial, saving, and sanctifying love. 
The humility of Christ, which is our example. The humility of Christ is what put on display his sacrificial, saving, and sanctifying love. This is why humility is the premier attribute of Christ. This is why when we are humble in every area of our life, this is why when we're humble in our relationships and we're humble in prayer, we are like Christ. Because Christ is the perfect example of humility. Through his humility, he demonstrated, he demonstrated his sacrificial, saving, and sanctifying love to humanity. Look what Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to, me, to be grasped, but he, this is Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. It's the premier Christian attribute, humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You know, not, not only did Jesus demonstrate his humility by dying on the cross, but Jesus demonstrated his humility by the way he lived his life with the people he was sent to. Think about, we're about to start a journey in the Gospel of John. We're going to go through the whole Gospel of John. Are you guys ready for that? We're going to look at Christ for a long time, starting on September 13th. We're going to open the book. And we're going to look at Christ. And when we're going to go through that gospel, you know what we're going to see over and over again? The humility. The humility. The servant's heart. The love. The compassion. But all that love, all that compassion, all that desire to, 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 to help people, to serve people, to heal people, all of it is connected back to his humility. And his humility is what motivated his submission to God to follow his will, to follow his plans. So not only is the humility... It, it, it motivated Christ to die on the cross, but it motivated the way that he lived. Jesus also demonstrated how humility in, it impacts prayer. And this is what we're talking about this morning. How does humility impact prayer? You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is with his disciples. And he says, we must go and pray. It's right before Judas comes with the soldiers to arrest him. And he goes and he prays and, and, and he, he's sweating as it was great drops of blood. And he's full of passion and, and, and struggle and, and, and his humility puts him in a position where he says, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I want. Do you remember Lucifer in Isaiah 14? I, 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 what I want, what I desire. Jesus reflects humility in the garden of Gethsemane right before his greatest trial, right before absorbing the wrath Because of the sin of humanity, he says, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will. That's humility. Humility. And what did he do? He prayed. He comes and he prays and he submits and he tells his disciples, can you you wait with me and can you pray? You know, but the problem is is that the, the disciples were not humbled yet. They had not been humbled yet. You remember earlier, right before the Garden of Gethsemane, they're in the upper room. You remember in the Gospels, right? They're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit? Two of the disciples, James and John, they got their mama to come, try to get him a place of authority in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus says, this, this is not how my kingdom works. If you want to be great, you must be the least. If you want to be in a, a position of, of, of authority, you must humble yourself. And Jesus, Jesus comes and says, I'm going to show you what it looks like to humble yourself. Come with me, guys. We're going to go pray. But the disciples had not been humbled yet, and so they didn't know how to pray. They couldn't pray. What happens? He says, tarry with me for a little while. And what happens? They sleep. Look, look, Matthew 26, verses 40. 
three sections there, Matthew 26, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he, and he said, Peter, so, so could you not watch with me one hour? Why couldn't Peter watch? He didn't understand. He hadn't been humbled yet. He didn't understand the necessity of prayer. Somebody who does not understand the necessity of prayer will not pray. And the only way to understand the necessity of prayer is to be humbled. It's to be humbled. And Peter got humbled. He found out quickly the necessity of prayer, that his life depended upon God. Look at verse 43. And again, second time, he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Aren't we like that? You know, this is such comfort for us. We are just like these disciples. We're so weak. We're so frail. We, we, we need the Lord's help. Our eyes get heavy. We don't, we're not perfect. We're going we're gonna to sleep during prayer. Then he came to the disciples a third time and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Take a nap later, guys. You don't know, you don't know what's happening. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life because it reflects our Lord and it motivates us to live humbly, to love sacrificially, and pray desperate prayers of dependence. This is why humility must be central in our hearts. We will never pray steadfastly unless we are humbled in our heart. Will we pray today? Will we pray? Will we pray? Will we continue steadfastly and pray? Will we surrender our hearts in desperate prayer? I say the answer to that is yes, we will, in as much as we reflect the humility of Christ. We will pray in as much as we reflect the humility of Christ. But when we don't pray, when we don't pray, it's because our heart hasn't recognized how desperately dependent we really are. It's the reality right here. So before we talk about prayer next week and the week after that and what we need to pray for, I pray today that we would recognize the key of prayer is humility. The second thing we want to look at here in this text as we move on in this sermon is this, is that the mighty hand of God is the safest place to be. Humility is the premier Christian attribute. It changes everything, including our prayer life. But I love this section. The mighty hand of God is the safest place to be. Look back at 1 Peter 5. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Where are we to humble ourselves? When we're thinking about prayer, where are we to humble ourselves? Under the mighty hand of God. Submission to God's authority and power must be where we submit ourselves. We must submit to his plans and to his ways. Prayer is not about our ways or our desires. Prayer is about our submission under the mighty hand of God. The idea, the terminology behind the phrase mighty hand of God is a declaration of God's authority and a declaration of God's sovereignty and his power. We are to submit under that. That is the foundation of prayer when it's motivated through humility that we submit to his ways. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you didn't want to listen. And life was hard for you. You ever been there? Or maybe even as an adult, you didn't want to listen. And life is hard for you. But let's talk about the kids. Because I like to talk about kids. Because that's my world right now is kids. And they don't listen. And life gets difficult. And you get tired of the pain every now and then. Right, children? And what do you do eventually? 
you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of your parents. And you say, yes, mama. Yes, daddy. It's the same picture of prayer. We say, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I am going to submit to your rule and to your authority. How often do we come to the Lord with our hands not open in prayer? Listen, how often do we come like this? We come with our fists clenched and our fingers pointing and declaring instead of humbly submitting to the Lord in prayer. The Lord wants us to come to him like this, not like this, like this, surrendered, open hands. And this is, you can pray like this if you want physically, but that's not the picture. The picture of open hands is a picture of an open heart. This is the foundation of prayer. Humility will lead you to this point of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. God, I submit to your ways. I'm tired of the pain of trying to make this life happen on my own. Specifically in prayer, I'm tired of it. God, I come like this, open hands, open heart. My hands are open and it's a reflection of my heart that is open and surrendered. You know, I think it's very important that when we think about prayer and submission to God, that we must look at what Jesus said about prayer. Wouldn't you think it'd be so important that if we are to pray right, that we would listen to what Jesus says about prayer, right? Jesus specifically said in Matthew 6, pray like this. That's pretty bold. Listen to this. Matthew 6. And when you pray, so he says, here's some ways that you don't pray. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others, right? That's pride. Don't be like them. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. but, but, But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what's this first way in which we're not called to pray? Jesus says, don't pray like this. Don't pray in a way to be seen by others. God sees in secret. Pray in a humble way that that prayer, when we pray and, and we're with each other, the goal is not for people to think that we're spiritual and that we're seeking the Lord. No, 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 no. That's not how we're to pray. Our prayer is between us and the Lord. Go in your prayer closet. Shut the door. Pray before the Lord. The Lord sees. And he says this, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. How often do we pray? Listen, I'm going to challenge you. Are you guys ready to be challenged? Listen, how often when we go to pray, we think that if we will pray hard enough, loud enough, declare enough, say the right words, quote the right scriptures, words, 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 do we think will be heard? Come on now. It's good preaching right there. We think it's true. Jesus says it. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as a Gentile. So listen, for they think they will be heard for their many words. God knows what you need. Whether you say just one word, whether you don't even have a word to say, and you just, you just the, the, the groan of your heart is a prayer. But sometimes in prayer, we get so caught up with the idea that if we can just push hard enough, pray loud enough, pray long enough. Have you ever been in a room of people? This, this is just real life. You ever been in a prayer meeting? And a brother gets up and he prays. A sister gets up and they pray. 
And they pray, you know, it just sounds like normal conversation. Oh, but then another person gets up. Boy, it's like heaven's coming down, right? And they're using flowery words and they're quoting scriptures. And you're like, man, God really heard that one. Really? Is that how it works? Jesus says that's not how it works. That's not prayer. Now, can that be prayer? Yes, it can be. The desperate cries of our heart. That's not, that's not the model for prayer. God just, God's not up there looking, okay, well, well, if they finally push hard enough, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip over the blessings from the threshold of heaven onto them. I'm waiting for them. I'm waiting for them to pray hard enough, loud enough, long enough. Now, that's, a, that's an evil taskmaster. That's what that is. No. Our Heavenly Father. You know what it says in Romans chapter 8? I love Romans 8. It says in Romans 8, sometimes we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We don't have the flowery words. We don't have all the right things to say. Maybe I can't even barely lift my voice because I'm so discouraged. And I'm so overwhelmed with what is all around me. Have you felt that today? Have you felt that in this season? God, I don't even know what to pray anymore. You know what Romans 8 says? It says that that deep groaning of your heart moves the heart of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit himself groans with groanings that cannot be uttered. What does that mean? It means that when we groan, he groans. When we groan, he's groaning in in intercession for us. Isn't that good news? So don't pray. Don't think that in your prayers it's because you're in big words and you're lots of words and saying all the right things. Sometimes we just have a deep groaning in our heart. We can't even put words to our prayer. Pray then like this, Jesus says. How are we to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is, this is how we pray. This is what Jesus laid out here. Pray with the proper perspective of God. Pray like this, our Father. What does it mean? It means he's good. He's our Father. He's our Father. He's a good God. He's not a tyrant in heaven with a, with a bat waiting to bust you over the head. He is our Father. He's a good, good Father. That's, the, that's one of the foundations of prayer. But then what's the next foundation? Holy is his name. Holy is his name. We come with reverence and awe and surrender and humility. And then what's the next way in which we pray? Not my will. Hands of surrender, not my will. But your will be done. That's how we pray. That's how we pray. Submission under the mighty hand of God. How are we going to steadfastly pray? We're going to steadfastly pray as Paul calls us to in Colossians chapter 4. Whenever we are clothed with humility. When humility is the attribute that is premier in our life. And whenever we will come humbly and submit to God in his ways. And we don't come in prayer with clenched fists and pointing fingers. But we come in desperation and surrender. And we say, Lord. I don't know how to fix this. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, here it is. Not your will. Not, not my will, but your will. Open hands, surrendered hearts. The mighty hand of God is the safest place to be in your Christian life. So often we carry the burden of prayer, believing that if we will work enough, work hard enough, then God will move. 
take that burden off of your shoulders here today. That's not how prayer works. That's not how your relationship with God works. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. Works in any area of your life. They do not save you or merit you favor with God. It's the gospel. The gospel impacts every area of our life, including our prayer life. It's God's power. It always has been and it always will be. Only Our only responsibility is to humbly bring our petitions before our holy heavenly Father. We must rest in the reality that we will not miss out on any good thing that our heavenly Father has planned for us. I want to go real quickly here. I want to look back at 1 Peter 5. Listen, this is so good. Listen, listen. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then we're going to talk about for a moment God's plan, his sovereignty, his authority, right? This is his mighty hand. What is Peter saying here? Submit yourselves, humble yourselves under God's authority so that at the proper time he may exalt you. What does that word time mean? When that word time is translated out, it is the word chronos. The word Excuse me, it is not the word chronos. It is the word kairos. It's the word kairos. That word time, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper, proper time he may exalt you. That word time is the word kairos. Now there's two different words that are used to describe time. One is chronos and one is kairos. Chronos is chronological time, the passing of time. As time goes on, it's 10.10 right now. It'll be 10.30 here in 20 minutes. The chronological chronos time. But when Peter says that if we submit under the mighty hand of God, that there will be a proper kairos moment where God will exalt you. You guys confused? Should I explain it to you a little further? What does that mean? It means my son comes to me and says, Daddy, I want a dog. I want a dog. And what, what, does, what does a good parent say when it comes to buying a pet for a child? They say, well, we'll get it later on. Sometime, we'll get that. We'll, we'll get that dog, that, that cat, that animal. Sometime. And what does it mean? That's chronos. That means sometime. As time passes, there's no specific time. I'm not hemming myself into nothing, right? Son comes up and says, Daddy, I want a dog. And I say, okay, we'll get to it sometime. But you know what the son doesn't know? is that the daddy's fudging a little bit because the daddy has already started a Kairos moment. He went online. He called the number. There's a dog that's just been born, and they got to wait for eight weeks to bring the dog home, right? There's a Kairos moment. And what's going to happen? Eight weeks from then, there's a moment at the proper time at the son's birthday. The dad's going to bring the dog, and at that proper time, he's going to be exalted. You guys get it now? Kronos, Kairos. I, you, guys aren't, you guys aren't as happy as I am right now. This, this is powerful. Listen, if we will submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God at the proper time, I may not understand it, and that son doesn't get it. Oh, Dad, you always say, you always say at some other time. But if we will trust that our Heavenly Father He's not just saying it at the proper time and it's not coming. No, there is a moment. There is a time. There is a Kairos moment. God orchestrates. God plans. Your life is not just meaningless moments that pass. Your life, if you're a Christian, they're filled with Kairos moments of God. That if you will submit to his mighty hand, surrender to his mighty hand in your life and in prayer, the Kairos time is coming. It's coming. The proper time. 
God has a proper time. His ways are better than our ways. We want the answer now, but God has a proper time. Humility is the premier attribute of the Christian life because it changes everything. God's mighty hand is the safest place to be because living a life of trust in God's mighty sovereign power is the only way to live. The secret to continuing steadfastly in prayer is to clothe ourselves with a humble heart of surrender to our mighty God and trusting his hand to lift us up at the proper time. No matter the circumstance, that's how you approach prayer. And again, here's the picture. In one hand of surrender, it's the knowledge that God, that with God, nothing is impossible. Don't you love that hand? That's a good hand. In one hand to surrender, when you're coming with your prayer, you're coming with your needs. In one hand, God, there's nothing too hard for you. You can do anything. That's why I'm coming to you in prayer. But in the other hand of surrender is the knowledge that God's mighty hand moves as he wills. That is prayer. Nothing too hard for you. Not my will, but your will. Now, there's a tension there. You've lived that tension. Have you not lived that tension? That's the tension of the Christian life in prayer. And that tension demands surrender. That tension demands surrender. It's a place of surrender. You know what that place of surrender does when we're saying, God, nothing's too hard for you. But God, your will be done. I don't know how to fix it. You know what that does? It's a sanctifying tension. It sanctifies our heart forces us to trust him. I want to conclude like this. Here is what that surrender looks like. Here's what that surrender looks like. Look back at 1 Peter, the last section, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's what this surrender, open-handed prayer looks like. It means to cast all your anxieties on him. That word casting, what does that word mean? It means to throw. It literally means this. It means to throw with force. To throw, so, to throw over onto something. To throw something like it doesn't belong where it is. You guys get that? To throw, to cast all your anxieties on him is to throw something like it doesn't belong where it is. So what, what are your anxieties here today? What, what have you been praying about? What have you been praying about? The way we surrender under the mighty hand of God in humility is to take with open hands Say, God, I take all of my anxieties, I take all of my worries, I take all of my fears, I take all of my unanswered prayers, I take them all together, and all this frustration, this fear, this anxiety, I put it all together, and I cast it over onto you, because it doesn't belong here. Because it doesn't belong here. So what do you need to cast today? What do you need to cast at his feet? He cares for you today. So verse 7 says he cares for you. What do you need to cast today? What have you been holding on to? That, that, doesn't, that, that anxiety doesn't belong in your heart. Because you have a good father that loves you. He's got a proper time. There's a Kairos moment for you. What do you need to cast today? So if you came in, we're going to cast today. Did you get an index card today? You're probably wondering why you got an index card. If you didn't get an index card, now's your moment. Brother Eddie Vera's right there. And... and um, uh, Brother Jesse is right there. There by some tables, by the clock, by the, back, the doors right there. You can go on the tables and get you an, an index card. We're going to do something here today. And I want you to know, I did not know, they didn't know I was preaching on surrender. And I didn't know they picked that song, Surrender. So that was the Lord's timing today. Isn't that awesome how God does that? 
So we're going to sing that song, but while they're singing it, this is what I want you to do. Get out an ink pen, and I'm going to write some things, and I'm going to put this basket down here at the altar. They're going to play the song. You quiet your heart before the Lord. And in a socially distancing way, when you're done writing down your anxieties, done writing down what you need to cast over onto the Lord, write it down and come and walk and dump it in that basket. And just as a symbolic way, you're just saying, Lord, here it is. I'm leaving it at the altar today. Can you do that today?